Welcome to Chip Chat Network Insights, conversations exploring network transformation through interviews with industry experts. Welcome to Chip Chat. My name is Allison Klein. Today, we're coming to you live from Mobile World Congress in Barcelona, and I have been joined by Lisa Spellman, Vice President and General Manager of Intel Xeon Products and Data Center Marketing. Welcome, Lisa. Welcome back. Thank you. It's exciting to be here. Lots of energy. You know, we've done many chip chats before, but this is the first time we've ever done one from the road, which is very exciting. (laughs) We're taking our show on the road. It's going to be great. So the conversation today is about data-centric computing. You have been doing a lot of talking about data-centric computing as you've been traveling around the world and talking to customers. Why don't you just start with a definition of what we mean by data-centric computing? I I will do that. And yes, I I have been out on the road a bit talking about this, but it's really um, oriented in kind of a customer-centric view about thinking of data as the ultimate customer challenge, whether you need to take advantage of that data, you need to um, access it, store it, utilize it, keep it secure, all of that. And as we started looking at it from that customer perspective of the challenge and opportunity that data represents, we pulled together a framework that we've been using to help uh, guide our customers through the ways in which we see helping them address those challenges. And we've been talking about moving more of their data, helping them store more of their data, and how to process every bit of that data. And that's all towards an end goal of better you know, business outcomes and value. And that's whether you're a cloud service provider, whether you're an enterprise, or whether you're a communication service provider driving this 5G revolution and all these network services. So... So we're at Mobile World Congress, so we're going to spend a little bit of time in the comm service provider space. But I think that one thing that I want to ask you about first is to be able to understand this from a macro level, you really do need to understand what you just said, which is how enterprises are using data and how they're leveraging the uh, public cloud services, how they're leveraging um, service offerings from comm service providers. What is Intel's background um, when you take a look at it from a pan um, customer perspective? And how does that benefit our ability uh, to drive the next uh, wave of uh, innovation for infrastructure? You know, one of the just massive trends across, doesn't matter the customer base, has been um, the cloudification of services. And again, whether you're a cloud service provider, enterprise, or communication service provider, it's become pervasive and it's actually accelerating the um, creation of data, but also the utilization of it as well. And as more and more services move towards industry standard hardware and drive towards you know a virtualized, cloudified infrastructure, you start to see um, the efficiency and those capabilities come up. And we've invested over the last 10 plus years in building the silicon foundation to support that cloud uh, and cloud native architecture and driving that through and with our customers. So doing not only the silicon work, but the software work to enable it and all of it built around really um, making more seamless service offerings. And one of the things that we're seeing is that um, that revolution that started on the cloud service provider and has you know built out from there of, of the cloud architecture is really coming to play in the communication service providers as well as they look at their next wave of services and how they're going to be able to deliver to customer expectations in a more cost-effective and efficient manner and take advantage of a lot more industry standards 
standard hardware and software offerings. Um, it represents a huge opportunity, but also a significant change to some of their existing business models. So it's an exciting time and you can feel it at the event, just the energy around this over the last couple years as this transition has been happening. Now, when I, when I think about the difference between a uh, cloud service provider and a comm service provider. It's in the way they use infrastructure and the way that they place infrastructure. Uh, cloud service providers, I imagine those multiple football field size data centers. <laughs> yep. um, comm service providers are, are deploying technology over uh, geographical dimensions. Yep. Does that mean any difference in terms of the way that we work with them and the, the types of technologies they require from us? Well, it's true. They are driving different use cases. You know, you look at um, 5G becoming this convergence of computing and connectivity and communications all coming together. It is, it's different than landing, you know, an uh, enterprise workload in a, as you call it, football field size data center. Um, but we're really working closely with the way that you connect what's happening at the edge all the way back to that core data center for the comm service providers. And we're putting what we'd call a very mini cloud right at the edge. So you've got, you know, servers on the on the uh, network infrastructure that's out, you know, a across the globe that can now handle a multitude of network function workloads and provide just a tremendous amount of efficiency for the comm service provider. But yeah, it's a much different environment when you even talk about things just like the ruggedization and the ability to reach so many endpoints that aren't sitting in one co-located area. You can't go put hands or eyes on every single piece of equipment. So you're thinking about it in a much different um, terms, even though a lot of the architecture standards and the software standards are converging. It, it, it's a different look and feel to a, a network cloud, I would say, than a, a cloud service provider cloud. What you just said made me think about that it all comes back down to workload optimization. And we've had many conversations in the past about where do you place your workloads between an enterprise data center and the public cloud? Now it's becoming even more uh, complex of like, where do you place data, uh, workloads when you consider things like the edge of the network? Are there applications that are growing in that space uh, because of new use cases? How do we look at that? I think it's actually a really exciting time. And um, when you look at the opportunity in artificial intelligence workloads and putting some of those closer to um, the edge, it represents a chance for much different uh, business outcomes and then just personal consumer service outcomes. And I think we're all going to see more and more of that smart compute happening on the edge devices and a real, um, what I'll call sorting of data about what really needs to go back to the cloud. And actually, um, a lot of this runs on Xeon, regardless of where that uh, uh, actual physical hardware sits. So there's a lot of edge that's running on um, Xeon as those network services converge and all the way back through to the uh, core data center. But I think that um, AI at the edge and the work being done there will um, introduce new levels of efficiency in use cases like city management and traffic management, in um, industrial safety and health concerns, the things that you can do to um, make just fundamental dangerous work more uh, safer. And then also in just the space of entertainment and, um, like I said, the consumer services, there's a lot that's going to happen beyond just a, quote, quote, faster download speed that I think uh, people will get excited about. When I think of 
what 5G is bringing, people often ask, what's the one killer use case? And I can think of so many technology revolutions that were not driven by a singular use case. It's this um, confluence of so many coming together at once that you don't realize you can't live without it until you just can't. Yeah, and I think that what I take away from it as well is that when we saw the advent of the public cloud, people thought, oh, well, which workloads are going to move off of enterprise into the public cloud? And what really we saw was the creation of new classes of workloads because the public cloud existed. It seems like we're at that type of innovation point for developers, again, at this point, where new use cases are going to emerge because of the continuum of computing that we're creating. Yeah, you know, the drama about which which ones will move where. And of course, there is some transformation there, but those are all growing businesses. So it was really which use um, case or which architecture is going to grow the workload the fastest. And you see it across all of our, you know, lines of business um, continuing to grow because as, you know, we've demonstrated time after time through major technology transitions, whether it's virtualization or full-on cloud-native infrastructure or, you know, this 5G Evolution, every time you add the ability to, you know, move, store, or process more, people come up with demand to move, store, or process more. So it's not just that you fulfill existing demand more efficiently. It's that that lowering of the cost of um, compute delivers the opportunity to do even more compute. And that's why you see AI use cases taking off like crazy, because they can actually be satisfied um, even at their, you know, pretty high data intensity. So I'm glad that you brought up AI because um, this gets us back to all of that data. What is Intel's strategy for ensuring that that underlying Xeon platform is optimized to run these uh, new applications uh, that are uh, uh, using artificial intelligence? And how does that influence what we do from a workload optimization standpoint? You know, we've invested a lot, uh, obviously, in Xeon over the last 20 years as it's expanded the workloads that it's able to d- address from all core enterprise workloads to the virtualization functions, artificial intelligence, the network um, functions that it now addresses, storage use cases. But one of the things that we don't talk as much about is how much software work we've done as well. So it's one thing to put something into silicon, but you really need to work with the industry to move it forward. You know, Intel has 10,000 plus software engineers driving with the ecosystem and all of the ISVs, um, those types of um, pull-through, as we call it. So you put some in silicon and you get it turned on in the ISVs. In addition, over the past couple of years, we've really doubled down on, in the AI space, the framework optimizations that we're doing, some of the translation layers um, for Xeon, delivering a better out-of-box experience, and then also some new open-source offerings ourselves, like OpenVINO, which is targeted towards edge use cases running on Xeon, or actually even other parts of our silicon portfolio. So while Xeon's the um, you know main line, if you will, we have a lot um, of other capabilities in our portfolio, whether it's some of the Movidius products um, at the edge for visual compute or FPGAs, our upcoming uh, Nirvana products that uh, are really built specifically for AI workloads. They're not custom um, for one customer, but they are not general purpose. They're they're pretty specific use case. So around all of those, we're surrounding it with a deep and wide software investment so that our customers can actually get to value right out of the box. 2018 was a fantastic year for Intel from a standpoint of data center. 
we're in the first quarter of 2019. We're almost through it. That's amazing. Um, What are you excited about in 2019 as you talk to customers about what they're planning to do with our technology? You know, um, we're coming up. um, We've got our next generation Xeon Scalable shipping for revenue now, and we're going to be bringing that broadly to the market shortly. And I'm really excited about that um, product and what it's going to turn on for our customers. Again, not to uh, keep beating on it, but in the artificial intelligence space, we've put some new um, acceleration technologies in there called DL Boost for inference. And we're already seeing some pretty fantastic results that our customers are responding to. And I think we have a lot of good stuff coming in this space on the network side that I'm excited to talk to people about in a couple of weeks as well. Um, that just, again, show how many of these workloads we have optimization and the software work done for so that all of our customers can be confident about um, setting their standard Xeon as their infrastructure baseline and really getting good performance and good capabilities out of it. So I think we're going to see a lot this year with the um, AI in the AI space and in the 5G space too. Fantastic. Well, Lisa, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Um, Have a great time at Mobile World Congress. Thank you. If folks online are listening and want to stay in contact with you, where would you send them? Oh, well, I'm out on Twitter and I try to stay reasonably active, but you can find me at the at Lisa Spellman handle and I'd love to have your follow and feel free to comment on everything. I get back to uh, just as much as I possibly can. Thanks so much for your time. All right. Thank you. Welcome to Chip Chat. My name is Allison Klein. We're coming to you live from Mobile World Congress in Barcelona, and I'm delighted to be joined by Cristina Rodriguez, Vice President of the Data Center Group and General Manager of the Wireless Access Network Division at Intel. Cristina, welcome. Thank you, Allison. I'm very happy to be here. So that's quite a title. Uh, why don't you just start, since this is your first Chip Chat, by explaining your role at Intel? Absolutely. So. Uh, Vice President and General Manager of the Wireless Access Network Division, which means I am responsible for providing, my my organization is responsible for providing Intel-based solutions that uh, enable the architecture, the next generation, world-class architecture of uh, radio access network. I'm so glad that you're here because obviously our theme uh, for Mobile World Congress and our focus is network transformation for towards 5G, and your organization is driving a big part of that. Why don't we just start with a discussion about 5G in 2019 and what you're seeing at Mobile World Congress in terms of the readiness of industry solutions? Well, it's so exciting to see 5G where, where it is right now and see that 5G runs on Intel. Uh, This is the year, right? 2019, we're going to see deployments all over the world. And, uh, you know, Intel is is in the the leadership of this uh, tremendous uh, transformation. Uh, 5G is going to require faster, well, always ever-growing 
data traffic, uh, uh, new use cases, new user experiences, and uh, that is going to demand a radio access network architecture that is uh, that is uh, has higher capacity, higher performance, and uh, we are providing all the all the components uh, to build to enable uh, to make that uh, to make that possible. Uh, the, the world is going to see many, many a, a, a range of uh, uh, solution deployments uh, from uh, distributed, the traditional distributed ways, uh, the virtualization either fully or centralized, fully integrated. We're going to see macro, micro, uh, small sales, and uh, and the you know and the and the service providers are, are, are looking for two things. Number one. Uh, take advantage and, and leverage what they have already, what the investment that they have already done in uh, in all the in all the previous years. But also, they're going to be looking to introduce and to leverage uh, cloud-type uh, innovations to drive flexibility and scale and uh, and, and enable the new use cases and, and new user experiences. You just said so much to unpack for the rest of this interview. So that was fantastic. Um, when we start with the radio access network, this is a point of uh, transformation for 5G, not just in terms of the technology that it's supporting, but also in the types of workloads that we're going to be driving through the access network. Can you talk about uh, your group's view of that transition for the access network and what kind of technology is required to drive the underlying infrastructure? Yes, absolutely. So when we look at when we look at radio access network and the architecture that is needed, again, one one architecture doesn't fit all, and there is a, there is a, you know we have to. The, the network has to be flexible, has to be agile, has to be, uh, has to scale, and uh, and we have all the products from uh, from CPUs to uh, our high performance CPUs to our SOCs with a, with a, a network acceleration on it, our FPGAs. We even have now EASIC, uh, which is another another tool. We have the software, we have the storage, we have everything that combined together give the, the, the type of solutions that is needed that is needed in the in the in the in the architecture we have a couple of uh, a couple of products that we're uh, very very proud of um, number one one of the things that we are announcing here in the in the well, we announced it before but we are we're showing it here in mobile world congress is uh, is no reach product and uh, the other thing that we're also showing and there's some announce, announcement around is our product uh, flex uh, flex Run. Now, Snow Ridge, you mentioned that it was announced before. We, we announced it at CES in January. Um, this is going to be one of our first 10 nanometer products coming out from Intel. Um, why is this chip garnering so much attention? And um, what is different about what we're delivering here that's got the attention of, of customers like Ericsson? Absolutely. So it's no reach, and we are. I'm so proud of that of that uh, that device. It's no reach, as you said. It's a 10 nanometer SOC. It's targeting base stations. So this is taking Intel architecture at, and extend in, Intel architecture into the base station. It's a, it's a performance per watt leadership. Um, it's a you know it's handcrafted for for base station. It's worth uh, it's again it's a it's a it's a beautiful machine, and uh, as you said, it's been already leveraged by lead partners. Uh, uh, you mentioned Ericsson, being already used in the in the in the architecture. So we are. 
extremely, extremely proud of uh, of Snow Ridge. Is uh, uh, again is a is a, a target based station for control and uh, pa and packet processing. So layer layer two and, and above. Now, when you look at um, the base station market, you just said this extends Intel architecture into the base station. What was it? Um, that enabled us uh, to gain the trust of, of customers uh, to do that? We have worked for many years. We have worked very closely with our customers. We know the challenges they have. We know the space. And uh, when we approach a, a, a problem, when we approach a, a solution or, or uh, a problem that need to solve, uh, that need to solve an, a technical problem, we look at it, the whole portfolio. What do we have? Mm -hmm. And uh, we have tremendous amount of innovation and technology at Intel. Uh, we, we, we spend many, many, many hours and many efforts uh, in, in solving those uh, solutions and coming up with innovation and, uh, and new products. And we look at it to the entire portfolio and, uh, and, and put together the solution. But, but especially is that uh, uh, understanding of the, of, the, of the space, understanding of what the challenges, what our customers want to, to do, what needs to be done in, to take the industry to the, next, to the next level. Now, you mentioned a number of different uh, technologies that we're creating for infrastructure in this space, including FPGAs. Why FPGAs in this space and why do they play an important role? It's, it's again back to what needs to be done. Performance, time to market, right? Uh, FPGA gives us the opportunity to have uh, very good performance, uh, very good uh, uh, um, functionality in a, in a fast time, time to market. So, so when you combine that with everything else, our high-performance CPUs, everything else that we have to do, uh, it's, it's just a, you know, it's a, it's a, we have a tremendous uh, uh, combination of technology there. You also mentioned FlexRAN. Now, this is a topic that we've been talking about since last year, but we've made incredible progress. Can you talk to me about uh, the innovations that we, we've been driving with the industry around FlexRAN and where you consider the technology today? Absolutely. Flex, FlexRAN, as you said, we have been working for for. for several years on this and that uh, the momentum is tremendous. FlexRAN allows to bring that uh, cloud type uh, innovation into, into the network, right? So we're talking now about things like virtualization, software defined network, uh, mobile edge computing, network slicing, which all that is going to allow us to have uh, uh, user cases, to, uh, to support user cases and user spaces, uh, user experiences that you, we couldn't do, we couldn't do before. And uh, the momentum is there, but also the maturity is there, right? There has to be, for, there has to be a maturity in the, so in the ecosystem mm -hmm. from all the different components, and there has to be a maturity from the operator to want to launch this type of solution to create uh, and to transform the network into what, what is going to be the, the, the network of, uh, of the future. Uh, with all the all the possibilities of new use cases and and, and again new uh, uh, experiences, um, we're going to see deployments uh, this this uh, this year, and we are we're seeing already several announcements. We're working very closely with the ecosystem to accelerate the introduction uh, to the to the to the market. Obviously, we're sitting here at Mobile World Congress, and we're surrounded uh, by the who's who of network innovation. What is the thing that you're most excited about that you've seen here in terms of the way the industry is 
utilizing our technology? Or can you provide some examples of innovative uh, use cases that you've seen while on site in Barcelona? So much, so much going on, right? This is so exciting. This is happening. This is what we have been waiting. Uh, is 5G is definitely here. And uh, you see that, for example, some of the things that were showing here in, in, our, in our booth in Intel with the different cases, how it's transform, transforming retail, uh, how it's, uh, you know, cloud gaming, uh, there's uh, industrial IoT. There's so many use cases that, that, you know, just a few years ago seems like, uh, you know, the, the impossible. And now it's, uh, it's, it's very much, it's happening very much possible. We're making, we're making the impossible possible, right? And, and it's uh, it's just fascinating where we are where we are at this uh, at this point, and it's it's, it's here. It's, it's it's happening right now. Christina, one final question for you: um, If folks want to find out more about what we're doing um, in the Access Network and find out more about FlexRAN and SnowRidge, where would you send them for more information? Definitely, we can you, uh, go to our web pages and our sites, and uh, I you know contact anybody on my team or, or me or anybody on my team and uh, yes we're here to help and to accelerate uh, the, the introduction to and the acceleration to 5G. Fantastic thank you so much for your time today I know you have a busy schedule at Mobile World thanks for making time for Chip Chat. Thank you Alison it's a pleasure to be here thank you so much. Welcome to Chip Chat Network Insights. My name is Allison Klein. We're coming to you from Mobile World Congress in Barcelona, and I'm delighted to be joined by Gary Lee, Associate Vice President at Quanta Cloud Technology. Welcome, Gary. It is my pleasure to come here again. It's a fantastic event and to see a lot of the innovation this year. Pretty good, yeah. <laughs> so, Gary, you've been on the show before. We had the pleasure of interviewing you last year at MWC. Why don't we just start um, with a description of uh, your purview at QCT and how that relates to network transformation? Okay, I think it's one of the uh, contribution and also the innovation uh, center, center point from the uh, Quanta is uh, actually based on the x eighty six as the base, you know, during the uh, certain level of the network transformation with the virtualization and also using the disaggregate way as some partnership with uh, quite a lot of the uh, um, innovator from the uh, VNA, from the infrastructure uh, ecosystem partner. So lots of the areas, um, you know, quanta has spent quite a lot of the effort uh, again, again, as a year after year as, um, with the different partner to build up the overall the infra for that environment. Now, this year, I'm seeing a lot from quanta about um, next generation central office or NGCO. Tell me about that focus. Um, we see that uh, quite a lot of the uh, um, challenge for the uh, uh, carrier this day is regarding about how they, you know, how soon they can provide the service to, to their customer. Uh, indeed, as I'm moving forward to into the uh, 5G era, you see, you know, the uh, service entry is a kind of the idea is dominate all the uh, you know industry. So. Uh, tied to market, tied to service is quite a crucial for them. It's special for the central office. Central office actually is sitting in the middle, b- 
between the real customer on-prem and to the data center. So um, quite a lot of the flexibility and also um, certain level of the uh, um, tied to market service provision is their challenge. Huh? So um, we together with the Intel working with the NGCO program um, actually is based on the x86 uh, with the uh, um, virtualization technology um, come up with them. Um, sort of the commercial labor of the uh, uh, VNF partnership, the build up the NGCO as a whole. And the NGCO with this uh, infra in place, uh, that can certain uh, level of the uh, improve the uh, agility and also uh, the service provision and eventually service orchestration uh, from the Adwin point of view. So um, NGCO work with the Intel. Actually, this year we showcased the uh, some of the results. It's not the uh, end point. It's actually the starting point. Uh, in series, we'll collaborate with a different kind of the VN vendor. Eventually, as, um, using the commercial uh, grade service and the support, provide the end to end to the carrier. Eventually, that will be the mission critical deployment into the carrier. That's the angle for us. Now, you came out with a pretty strong announcement at Mobile World about your work here. Why is this such a critical area of focus for QCT? And why is it such a critical area of focus um, for the comm service providers that are deploying these NGCO environments? Um, as a matter of fact, as um, Quantum uh, joined into the uh, um, um, carrier business, the telco, the relevant the, uh, opportunities, we actually are uh, starting our foundation from the uh, cloud service provider. Uh, we have uh, quite a lot of the uh, um, um, innovation in the cloud service provider already. So the crucial point that um, you know, uh, QCT want to contribute to this industry is bring the experience and bring the innovation we did for the uh, cloud service provider already and moving that into the uh, telco and using the uh, uh, web scale cloud technology to try to transfer and contribute to this industry. So that's the, that's the major point that you know, Quantas is, you know, want to contribute in this industry. Yeah. Now you talked about how NGCO sits kind of in the middle of the network continuum. How does this um, play in terms of uh, QCT's larger strategy for edge computing and um, the innovation that's going to be required to uh, drive cloud economics and cloud architectures all the way to the edge? Oh, that's a very good question. As, as a matter of fact, as, um, for the uh, past uh, two to three years, um, in, in addition to the uh, 5G uh, technology innovation, quite a lot of people in the tree and also the vendor, as uh, we are talking about the age computing, especially for the mobile age. But now it's also covered the, uh, the multiple access from the broadband also. Huh? So the age for the uh, carrier, age for the customer, actually mean a very two important point. One is actually we moving the service even more close to the uh, end user, the customer. And the other way is uh, so far for the carrier, now he has uh, quite a lot of the, uh, you know, deployment around the world as um, in the uh, age with the radio, with the optical fiber before. Now they get a very tre tremendous opportunity to deploy some service in the age that actually can provide um, you know, even better the, uh, the service quality uh, from the latency point of view, from the, uh, you know, broadband access point of view. This uh, create a new era of the, some of the uh, um, um, innovation in the business. So I would say the age for the carrier, age for the customer in both sides is an actually exciting area for the innovation. Quanta work together with the uh, Intel is uh, we leverage, as I mentioned, the good technology from the cloud 
and also bring that into the age. So I was I would say that um, uh, age probably is uh, starting from the uh, cloud technology first, but the, the age itself has some of the uh, unique the, uh, requirements. So we need to based on this requirement to innovate even more the uh, technology to uh, um, you know, improve the overall the service the uh, quality and agility. So so in terms of technology, not only the uh, um, virtual machine virtualization, it's also the container technology. And also kind of some of the specific requirements from the age, it could be from the uh, um, radio side, it could be from the broadband side, that's some of the access point of the uh, integration with the service itself. So so I would say that's, um, that's, uh, that's uh, opened a new era for, for the industry. So Quanta um, still based on the x86 as our foundation, but based on the different workload, we actually come up with a series of different the age computing the, uh, the, uh, the product. So that the carburetor from the interior of the platform point of view, the, from the SP, the creator, the, a very good platform can uh, provide a pooling resource to the uh, Xeon D, it's, which is an SOC design that's a very good uh, uh, integrated uh, the, uh, the, uh, the device that can provide the uh, very good end-to-end uh, -end service cover for that. And also to the Atom. Atom base um, that provide very good uh, power consumption, the, uh, the, 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 the leadership in other areas. So I would say, that's the whole platform. We based on the different work though. We using the different platform and I come up with a different series of the problem. That's, the, that's what we are planning for the age. Now Gary, obviously our companies have a tremendous history of collaboration and you, you mentioned how you guys are leveraging Xeon D and Atom to deliver edge capability, but um, you're also delivering core NFVI platforms. Um, and you've done that uh, as Select Solutions, um, working with Intel. Can you tell me about those configurations and, and what they're delivering vis-a-vis -vis the edge platforms that you're talking about? Yeah, there's um, NFVI, the infrastructure is actually as a play a very crucial role for the up tier, the uh, different the VNF, the partner. So eventually you want to provide the uh, um, the requirement to meet for the, uh, the, 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 the uh, deliver the uh, performance to meet for the requirement from the uh, carrier uh, throughput and also the bandwidth and also the latencies all the challenges eventually to the infrastructure. So um, um, two years before we work with uh, Intel, we work with the Ray Hay that's uh, using the virtual machine as the base uh, to provide the uh, uh, EPA optimized value to the uh, infrastructure. And uh, you know, you can see the uh, uh, packet processing throughput. That you can see the uh, um, different the uh, CPU pinning and binding to improve the overall the uh, workload performance. That's a tremendous the uh, effort collaboration between the three party. And based on that's a very good foundation. Moving forward to uh, last year, is an actually uh, we are moving the uh, focus not only in the virtual machine, also in the uh, container technology. And, and you will see that uh, especially for the age uh, uh, side, you want to have a very quick uh, you know, tie to market, CI/CD based development model, and also you know, the lightweight the virtualization technology, which I think all the promise coming from the container technology. So uh, again, we are working with the uh, Intel to optimize the EPA feature on the container technology. And also are starting to the collaboration with the Rayhead to bring their commercial offering the uh, container platform. OpenShift can you know have low labor of the an uh, average the feature. So I would say that um, um, that's a continuous um, um, effort is um, you know again again based on the different the customer requirement. 
coming from the data center first to the central office now to the age, we are serious different the NFVR ever in that area. And also this day, we're also thinking about eventually going to the on-prem. On-prem, it could be the connectivity device. It could be the service century um, 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 ser uh, servo. So we also will bring in the innovation in that area. So mm -hmm. provide the truly uh, from the on-prem customer and to the carrier M. That's the end-to-end -end infrastructure level of innovation. That's the effort so far we are spending with the Intel. Now, you also mentioned containers. Do you see this customer base um, looking to cloud-native implementations as preference, or are you still seeing a blend of virtualization and container uh, integration? Uh, container bring us a very good the, uh, promising and also the, uh, some of the uh, features um, that's to the, uh, the today that's um, from the uh, software development point of view, um, the service um, tied to market point of view. Um. Um, but the, uh, the, the, the challenge is, um, you know, you need to have the uh, necessary the, uh, throughput to the container. So that's the reason that um, we, uh, that's the continuous effort in the, from the virtual machine to the container. And in some of the use case, even to the bare metal the implementation. So I would say that um, it's um, hard to say that uh, which kind of the uh, um, um, infrastructure me for which kind of the uh, um, uh, workload. But it depends on the real use case. You find out the right combination for the technology. So I would say that some, you know, some um, workload running on VM, virtual machine, some of the workload running on container, some of the workload leverage the uh, um, raw performance coming from the environment to still be the uh, you know, different the use case for the industry. So I would say we're not as, a, you know, um, invest just one or two. We actually invest them continuously in you know, some different technology combination for those, yeah. Gary, one final question for you. Um, this has been a fantastic interview and it's it's great to see the collaboration. It's great to see the QCT innovation in this space. Where can folks find out more about the products that you're delivering in market and engage with the QCT team? Yeah, I think there's some three different ways. One is we have some of the very good collaboration results, you know, publishing the network builder already. And also this year in the uh, Intel booth, in the QCD booth, we all showcase a very good innovation for the NGCO. So in the Intel booth, you can see the real, truly uh, live demo, end-to-end -end live demo uh, so with the CDN as a use case. And in the uh, uh, QCD booth, we have all the uh, different stations to show, show individual the uh, um, innovation. And, and then, you know, in the um, um, QCT, we publish all the effort into the white paper, huh? NGCO white paper. So all of those that can you know, reach us to get further information about our contribution in that area. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time today. It's it was our, a, always my pleasure to come in here. Yeah. Pleasure is mine. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you.
Welcome to Chip Chat Network Insights. My name is Allison Klein. We're coming to you from Mobile World Congress in Barcelona. And I'm delighted to be joined by my friend Renu Navale, Senior Director of Edge Services and Industry Enabling for the Network Platforms Group. Welcome, Renu. How's it going? Going great, Allison. Thanks for having me over. I am delighted to have you on because you've got a new job and it's all focused on edge computing. And I would love for you to help define the edge and Intel's view of the edge uh, for our Chip Chat Network Insights audience. So why don't we just start with a description of your new purview at Intel and how that relates to edge computing. Sure, so um, for about uh, almost a year now, I've been looking at edge computing uh, and how um, uh, you know compute is converging with communications at the edge. Um, and as we look at it from kind of the Intel purview, we're looking at how we're extending data-centric technologies, in particular cloud technologies as well as cloud economics, from the cloud all the way down to the intelligent edge and back. Um, we're looking at not only compute, but also storage and network resources um, down at the edge as close to the devices as possible in order to provide you know, optimized TCO for our service providers and enterprises, uh, provide them with additional capabilities like data locality, uh, lower latency, uh, and other types of quality of service or quality of experiences that they can deliver to their consumers who have all the devices and things. Now, when we look at the edge, obviously, that is not just one monolithic thing. How do you... Uh, summarize the various types of technology deployments that comprise the edge? So well, the, one of the first things we started to look at is how are we defining edge? What we found was that the industry defines edge in multiple ways. There's a cloud edge, there's a device edge, there's a network edge, there's an enterprise edge or an on-premise edge. So from an Intel perspective, we have started to look at it primarily from two per, uh, two. Uh, edge perspectives. Uh, the first being the enterprise edge or the on-premise edge. So this is equipment that is on-premise at an enterprise um, or a business that can drive business value to those enterprises. And then the second is the, the network edge, which is predominantly on the other side of the what we call the base stations. So it's it's part of the network. It comprises the wireless access, so it could be radio access nodes, both um, RAN as well as VRAN um, base stations. It can be the next generation central office, and as well as something called the multi-access edge computing, or MEC, which is basically data centers or distributed data centers at different locations co-located with the network nodes, which can run various types of not only network functions, but also other um, other services or functions like analytics and media. The enterprise or industrial edge and, and network edge have existed for a long time, and, and there's been computing that's happening in this space, but um, there's an incredible amount of innovation uh, that has been driven, and it relates to um, what you said before, which is the cloudification of, of uh, capabilities in this area. Why does that make such a difference, and why is the industry looking at the edge um, so intently over the last couple of years? So a couple of reasons. The first one is um, 
there's kind of a perfect storm with uh, the imminent arrival of 5G, the, the billions of devices and things, the incredible amount of data that's going to be generated from all that, as well as kind of the promise of all that data, the insights and analytics that is, you know, that we can derive from that data. So there's there's the, the perfect storm of all of that, as well as uh, the network transformation that we have been un, uh, undergoing this journey of network transformation over the last like five years where we have been cloudifying the, the network um, with data-centric uh, uh, type of technologies or equipment. So in addition to this perfect storm, what we're seeing is there's um, um, there's uh, the convergence of computing and communications, and more importantly, there's the convergence of different types of workloads. So on the enterprise edge or the on-premise edge, you're right, you did it, there were edge compute nodes already there, but the the, uh, the enterprises want to do a lot more with it. They want to be able to consolidate not only their vertical applications or services, um, they also want to converge it with new types of analytics workloads, um, media workloads, um, computer or infra, uh, computer inferencing um, type of workloads, all of this within different types of vertical industries like industrial, retail, um, as well as uh, smart city. And on the network edge, again, you're seeing um, service providers refreshing some of their equipment, like the next generation central office. I really think that's going to be one of the first places where we start to see NFE or network transformation start to um, seep into the edge, where our service providers are looking to refresh all their legacy central office equipment into sleek uh, racks of servers. And they want these racks of servers to not only be capable of um, hosting the traditional network functions like uh, like a virtual BNG or a virtual PE, they want to be able to utilize those ra the compute capabilities there for also media and analytics types of uh, workloads or services. So they're really looking to um, you know drive a number of services and applications at these different edge locations on these and utilize the compute storage and networking capabilities in each of these compute nodes. Now, I want to take this moment because you brought up workloads to do a little myth busting. Some have said that with the rise of the edge, that data centers are going to die away and there will be no more cloud. Um, I think that you have a, a different view um, and Intel has a different view. So tell me where you see workload migration from uh, data center to edge and what is going to drive the decisions by organizations, whether they be comp service providers or enterprises, on where they place those data-centric workloads across the continuum? Right. So, so we've heard a couple of different things. The first is um, most of the service providers or enterprises um, will always centralize in the cloud and data center everything that they have to, and they'll only distribute what they must. So, so that's that's very clear, and which means our data centers and cloud is not going anywhere. Um, it's important to maintain the balance of the total cost of ownership, um, and the more more cl the closer you get to the edge. Uh, closer to the devices, the more expensive it gets, which is why our service providers are looking to balance their TCO. 
Um, the, the second aspect is the, the, the types of um, um, requirements that you might have for specific workloads or use cases. There are actually a few workloads that require kind of the sub-millisecond um, or the ultra-low latencies that um, you know, the 5G promise brings, like autonomous driving and others. Many of the other workloads don't require that ultra-low latency, um, uh, uh, require those such low latencies, which means you can actually, uh, the service providers can determine where they place the workloads depending on other constraints like bandwidth optimization, security constraints, um, as well as uh, the total cost of ownership. So they can, depending on all of these different types of requirements, determine where they place the workloads. When we take a look at edge computing at MWC, we've got some pretty innovative um, capabilities on the show floor, and you wanted to talk about one in particular. What was it? So the um, the, uh, the there's a demo in the booth that is actually um, across three different booths. So that was that's like a first time that I'm seeing it at this show where they've distributed across three different booths in MWC. Um, it's what I call a multi-location um, edge uh, demo. Um, so it, it is distributed from the cloud to a next generation central office, to a virtualized radio access node, and a multi-access edge computing um, uh, node. So you have multiple edge locations. Um, you have a consistent software architecture all the way from the cloud across all the edge locations. You have multiple ecosystem partners delivering various types of applications or services. There's a there's a speech analytics. There's a warehouse manufacturing type of app. Um, there's um, uh, another app around. Um, um, I'm. I think the speech analytics was one, and I forget the other, but there are about three or four different um, applications um, that are hosted on this. And in addition to this, there is an orchestration capability. The orchestration capability is um, allows for dynamic movement of these applications across different, not only different edge locations, but also the cloud. So you can, so the service provider can decide when and where they uh, host which application and across which edge node. So dynamic provisioning based on um, network bandwidth uh, bottlenecks, um, usage of the application, Absolutely. anything else that could motivate them to change locations. Absolutely, and most of our service providers want that type of um, zero-touch provisioning, services on and off, um, and kind of the dynamic, flexible, um, you know, relocation of all these applications and services so they can select, you know, the best location depending on various parameters such as, you know, network bandwidth or even, uh, you know, some big... Um, events like, hey, World Cup soccer, so therefore I need all my media analytics to be as close to the far edge as possible to maximize you know, the uh, uh, response time to the users, um, uh, reduce the latency in the response time. Uh, so depending on various types of uh, needs, uh, they can choose how they provision um, these applications and services. Now let's go under the hood. What type of Intel technology do you have running all of this exciting stuff? So so it's actually um, 
to our excitement, it's um, the processors are all Xeon. So there's Xeon SP in the cloud um, with Xeon D at some of the far edge locations. Um, we also have um, uh, some of the other um, adjacencies integrated. So we have FPGAs, we have our Movidius chip, um, as well as we have you know, SSDs, memory and SSDs. So a lot of Intel technologies across all the edge nodes and the cloud. We have uh, software and architectural consistency. Um, and all of that was extremely critical to build this very diverse um, ecosystem, set of ecosystem partners um, um, you know, across our uh, product or technology portfolio. Now, you talk about software consistency. We have a lot of open source um, contributions in here uh, from Intel. Can you talk about what you've leveraged from the open source arena? Um, so we have um, um, a number of contributions across different um, layers of software. Um, at the lower levels, um, we have a, num a lot of contribution around our uh, data plane technology. Um, we have um, also um, accelerated technologies, which we um, um, you know, have open source contributions towards. Um, DPDK is uh, one, of our, um, one of our rock star um, you know, software optimizations that uh, allow us to uh, process and move data on and off the network in the best possible manner, leveraging our uh, Xeon processors. Um, and then as we move higher, um, one of the things that we've been looking into doing is, hey, how do we make it easier for the cloud and the IoT developers to de develop services and applications on the edge nodes that can then in turn justify an ROI for the service providers and the enterprises to um, you know, refresh or build new edge nodes or upgrade their edge nodes. Uh, in order to do that, we have actually launched uh, a new toolkit yesterday. Uh, it's called Open Network Edge Services Software. Um, it's a toolkit that integrates um, various capabilities, our data plane acceleration capabilities, our um, uh, capabilities to leverage our CPU plus our different adjacencies and accelerators. Um, in addition to that, it works uh, to um, um, abstract the network complexity for our cloud and IoT developers, so they don't have to worry about things like um, um, access terminations or traffic steering or multi-tenancy and uh, all of those different types of uh, network complexities. Uh, and, and then in addition to that, it plugs into various cloud frameworks so that we can uh, attract the cloud developers across you know, AWS, Azure, Google, and all the other different types of um, uh, cloud platforms. Um, the other thing that we, we're doing is we're also integrating to um, the analytics toolkit that we have called OpenVINO, um, as well as the Visual Cloud and uh, Media SDK uh, capabilities because a number of the use cases are a combination of not only networking workloads, but also analytics and media type of workloads. Now, this is just a demo at MWC, but obviously this reflects um, broad industry innovation to drive deployments with uh, comm service providers. Where do you see us taking this technology in terms of delivery with the industry in 2019? Um, so I think, um, so NFV, which, you know, first of all, the network transformation, which we started around five years ago, we're actually starting to see uh, a lot of ramp and scale on NFV. Um, you know, we've been having some edge conversations for the past, like, 
uh, six months to a year, but we're gradually looking to extend the cloud technologies and NFE uh, to the edge as well. Um, I believe that you know a lot of the work that we do, not only from our product portfolio perspective, but also our software optimizations, um, helps to enable kind of a mature and robust ecosystem, um, which in turn enables you know the time to market and time to revenue that our service providers and enterprises are looking for as they drive their uh, deployments or they drive ramp and scale their deployments. Um, so it's it's uh, we, we we will continue to partner closely with our um, our ecosystem and our customers in order to drive you know adoption of our technologies uh, and support them in the manner that they want to deploy um, edge as well Renu, when, when you were describing all of this it, in you think about this new infrastructure being deployed these new capabilities delivered from the industry I, I want to take it back to workloads for a second because obviously we've stated um, where we think uh, workloads, will be deployed, but this also offers an opportunity for the developer community to create new classes of workloads that we haven't envisioned before. What are you seeing um, from the software development community in terms of new types of applications that you're expecting to emerge in this space, and how are we working with them uh, to inspire their innovations? So you're absolutely right, um, uh, Alison, because I really think the um, media and analytics um, workloads that I'm thinking about are just the tip of the iceberg. Um, what we really are looking to create with OpenNAS plus OpenVINO and you know the visual cloud and media capabilities is actually a sandbox to attract more and more developers to come up with more and more innovative types of applications. Um, you know what you saw from uh, you know the uh, the mobile ecosystem um, a, a few years ago, um, where you, where uh, some of our uh, smartphones kind of drove this mobile ecosystem. Um, we're really looking at hey, how does 5G um, and network transformation drive a similar type of ecosystem at the edge? Um, and I, I think we're we're just what we're envisioning is just the of the iceberg, and we're really looking forward to seeing hey what the uh, uh, what the developers can do on the edge, and we really need to unleash the developers on the different edge compute nodes. And um, edge is you know the new cloud. So very nice ending. Um, how can folks engage with your organization and engage in openness? if they want to start developing uh, with the tools that you're delivering? So we, we have a couple of assets. Um, the first is they should continue to visit our Intel Network Builders uh, website, uh, intelnetworkbuilders.com. Um, and then um, also we have a new website called um, uh, open-nas.org where they can get more information on OpenNAS and uh, reach out to our teams because we're doing a lot from through the ecosystem on network builders as well as through OpenNAS um, to drive the edge community. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to have you on Chip Chat Network Insights. Thank you, Allison, for having me. Welcome to Chip Chat Network Insights. My name is Allison Klein. We're coming to you live from Mobile World Congress, and I am very excited to have two guests with us in the studio. Jake Zim, 
Senior Vice President of Virtual Reality at Sony, and Jason Elliott, 5G Marketing Development at Nokia. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Good morning. It's great to Welcome. be here. Yeah, yeah, good morning. So, Jake, it's your first time on Chip Chat. Why don't you go ahead and start off with an introduction of your role at Sony and how it relates to Mobile World Congress this week? Sure. Well, it's really exciting to be here. There's so much going on, lots of amazing technology. I represent content. So I work at Sony Pictures, the movie studio, and I oversee our immersive entertainment business. So we are dedicated to building the business of immersive entertainment with a focus on virtual reality. And really what that means is we see the opportunity to deliver deeper, richer experiences for our audiences based on the IP that we make movies with. Mm -hmm. So we're here with Spider-Man, with our partners at Nokia and Intel, to deliver the world's first multiplayer VR game over 5G. And that's a really exciting opportunity. It's uh, the beginning, we think, of something really, really amazing. Um, and we're starting to see what that actually could mean in terms of a market. Wow. Jason, let's move to you. The world's first multiplayer VR game over 5G. Yeah. Nokia knows a little bit about 5G and networks. Tell me about how you're engaged here and, and why uh, Nokia has invested so much time and effort to bring this experience to mobile world. Yeah, it's really important that, you know, 5G, we typically think it's just another radio technology, but it's not, right? It's, it's actually end-to-end. -end. So at Nokia, we're the only global provider of 5G end-to-end -end networks, effectively. So everything from the radio base stations to the cloud, the core, and everything like that. So even though you've built this incredible infrastructure, it's about how these new services for 5G were going to get developed. And when we think about um, creating these new kind of immersive experiences through VR and AR, and like these incredible pieces of content like that Sony Pictures has, it was just an incredible timing of all these things coming together. This is what's really exciting in the market. To be able to show something incredibly differential um, and you know, being able to do something when we think about VR experiences traditionally, with the power of 5G, being able to do this as multiplayer was really, really exciting to us. And being a world's first with the type of content, we really saw this as a point where we would really move the needle in the market, where it's something nobody's really done this before uh, at this kind of level with this type of technology. And that this building this kind of environment right now in, in this situation was perfect timing for the market. And we thought it was an incredible opportunity. Now, Jake, this is a real redefinition of content um, you know, we think about Sony Pictures as bringing fantastic uh, movies to the screen, things that we can consume, but you're really changing the game in terms of something that we can interact in. Tell me about that and how Sony is looking at that as a, an opportunity for the company. We always think about how to get our audiences more engaged in our content. You hear the phrase people say when they've seen a great movie, I lost myself in the movie. I, I, was, I was there. I wasn't even aware that I was watching a movie. I felt like I was there with the characters. So when technology enables us as content creators to do more of that, to create a level of interactivity and connection and give the audience agency, some level of control over the story that they're actually a part of, that's very exciting to us. This is, this, is, this is new in some ways. Video gaming has always given the gamer full agency. But the idea of taking some form of narrative and merging it with control, with agency, um, is something that we're very excited about. So when we talk about immersive entertainment, 
The idea is how do we deliver the entire world around the consumer, literally around them, uh, and give them some aspirational role to play. So with Spider-Man, it's pretty clear. You want to thwip your way through a you know, urban environment, swinging from skyscrapers. So that provides a lot of challenges, right, in terms of how you actually do it. But it also offers this wonderful, exciting, um, aspirational opportunity. So for us, in an era of interactive storytelling, Bandersnatch on Netflix is a good example. Um, uh, we are trying to find ways to do more of that because while our core business is making movies and television and, and doing a great job on what essentially is linear product, um, there is some space that we're interested in between pure gaming, PlayStation, for example, PC console gaming, and linear, as I call it, flatty um, storytelling and this is a new space and we're just very interested in figuring out what the right way to deliver the right piece of content is. Jason, let's go under the hood for a second. Um, Sony's delivered an incredible technical challenge to our companies in terms of um, the type of rich content uh, that we yes. want streamed, the analytics that are required. Yeah. What is the technology collaboration to deliver the underlying infrastructure been like uh, between the companies, and um, where are we in terms of technology feasibility to deliver this type of experience? Yeah, I think this is what's really incredible now, again, back to the timing thing. So, you know, um, when uh, Sony and the team came to us and said, you know, with VR, you need these sets of performance requirements to be able to deliver this, we said, uh, they said, can you really do this over 5G? You know, is it possible to do this? We said, yeah. So everything we've been testing to date, and you know, obviously we've been working with Intel for a long time now. We said, yeah, we have the radio technology. We have the edge cloud, which is the really important piece here. So obviously using um, AirScale and AirFrame, which is our edge cloud product, we said there's a way we can architect this so that we can do this multiplayer. We, we can lower the delay in the network enough where we can actually create this truly interactive experience. So we went into the labs. Uh, in our US facilities and we actually got the teams together. Uh, they provided the software drops and we went through all the testing and we really did prove this out that we really could do this um, at scale consistently with the right level of performance, you know, and no, no impact at all. We're not compensating for anything. So that's really the power of 5G with Edge Cloud being able to deliver these new real rich media experiences. Now, how many users can actually engage in the virtual reality environment at the same time at Mobile World? We, we can do uh, up to four players right now. So it's architecture for four players, but really with 5G when you, you know, I mean, you can go way, way beyond that. That's the real capability of 5G is the fact that before with different experiences, we could only scale so far. And really what 5G allows us is to scale. That's, the, that's what's really incredible about this whole new thing. So you can offer these very rich media services in immersive type environments at massive scale. And you know, like you were talking about, Jake, is the fact that you're trying to engage with more and more audiences. This is the technology that's going to allow us to kind of like be able to deliver that content at, at that big scale level, I think. That's what's and, really and incredible. The social component of it is critical. So the idea that it is multiplayer, the idea that at some point we can scale it to a massively multiplayer level um, is really important because when you talk about what's different with immersive technology, you have to add into the discussion the idea that you're in there with other people. Mm -hmm. And the ability to communicate with them in real time, the ability to look at them yeah. 
to wave, to emote, to have conversations, to share information, to battle bad guys, whatever it may be. Yeah. Clearly, that's been proven in terms of the gaming world of what's successful in the business models that are driving pure gaming. But the idea of immersive entertainment and sharing an emotional moment, a storytelling moment, is key. Now we we did say let's say let's sort of put some constraints around what we're doing at Mobile World Congress. Let's 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 do a four player sort of ceiling in terms of the number of players. And frankly there's a creative reason behind that too, not just the yep. technology stuff. Yep. Mm -hmm. But we have four great Spider Man suits. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so from the new movie. So we wanted to make sure that everyone who played would have a chance to choose an individual suit, the homemade suit, the enhanced suit, the stealth suit, you know, all these great so so we you know, there's a little bit of a creative nudge that we put on the team to say, let's limit it to the four great suits that we have. So Spidey's been busy. He's designing different outfits. He's designing yeah. outfits, he's getting outfits from other uh, uh, very smart, you know, uh, superhero friends of his. Uh, yeah, he's been very busy. That's that, good that, to know. That stealth yeah. uniform is absolutely fantastic. Yes, it's by a way. favorite. That's it's really a favorite. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> now, I bet Jake that you didn't just do this so that you could deliver it at Mobile World Congress. What is your broader vision for this type of interactive engagement, and is this demo going to carry further beyond this week? Well, so. Our macro objective at Sony Pictures VR is to develop this business and to use various different Sony IPs to find new ways to tell stories, whether it be very narrative focused or very gaming interactive focused. And so we actually have a suite of products that we're releasing and have released and our, and our, our, our roadmap puts us into a, a plan to release over nine products this year. The Spider-Man specific initiative that we're here at Mobile World Congress to show is really built for this event, and it's really to show the 5G capability of what we're, what we're trying to do. We will take a version of this, a non-5G version, and it releases it to consumers this summer. Um, that's something that we've done in the past in our previous Spider-Man Homecoming movie. So we have a new Spider-Man movie, Far From Home, uh, releasing worldwide this July. So there will be a single-player version of what we're doing that will go to the home consumer mm -hmm. as part of that campaign. But the idea, I think, when we first sat down and started talking about this project with Nokia and Intel, it was sort of this like blue sky idea. What if we could do this? This is crazy, guys. <laughs> no way. And with the time frame that we have uh, to sprint the to sprint, get this project yeah. done uh, and our developers uh, create VR and that team that did all the nuts and bolts work on this, an amazing job to get it to this point. Yep. We've sort of, I mean, we were talking about this last night. We were sort of saying, well, guys, we, we, you know, let's take a breath. Let's raise a glass and say, okay, good job we got here. It's certainly a work in progress, what we have here, even at the booth. I mean, it's, it still has so much enhancement that can be done, but what else can we do this? How, how does this continue to prove the, the point that an immersive entertainment piece of content with this IP and with this level of infrastructure and with this level of processing power, what else can we show? What else can we do with this? So I, I think those conversations are just starting to happen. When we're able to, to sort of take a risk on a project like this and come together with this kind of partnership and then show it here where there are major thought leaders walking around, getting wind of this, hearing about the project through these kinds of communications it moves the industry along. And I was just in a cab coming over here with a guy. He kind of scratched his head and said, wait a sec, that Spider-Man thing, that's something that you guys are doing? Virtual reality never really made a whole lot of sense to me. But 
he was interested in it because of his personal relationship to Spider-Man, his awareness of it. And in a client meeting that he had last night, the operators were asking for content that could be delivered over high-speed networks. And he started to put those together. And now we're going to do, you know, have a conversation about what he can do with our kinds of content in the future. So it really is these types of gatherings where you may have a sort of head-scratcher of a partnership at first. Why are we bringing Spider-Man here? But when, in actuality, when you can affect real change in the business because of what happens, that's great. When the use case becomes clear, yeah. then the conversation flows. And it, I think that exactly. that's a great point. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I think the interesting thing is, and we, 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 you know, we're only one day into Mobile World Congress right now. So, um, you know, we're getting a lot of good feedback already from our, you know, service provider customers that have actually seen the demo. They're like, okay, now I understand why I need the power of this network that I'm building out. And now I need to think about how I take this incredible content and this experience and actually monetize it. So those conversations are actually starting. So once you you actually get to this point of delivery and execution, you, you actually start to see and get feedback from your customers. And you actually that will actually then drive the next steps that we need to do and think about to kind of take it to the next level in the future. That's what's really, really exciting. And Jason, I know that you and I have talked about 5G and, and uh, the network edge many times before. When you look at the technology maturity in this space, um, it seems like 2019 is a ripe year for us to be having those conversations with comm service providers and stretching um, to be able to, in the near future, deliver this as something that uh, Sony and other companies like Sony can deliver to customers at scale. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so 2019, we're seeing uh, globally a lot of operators actually starting to launch uh, 5G deployments. Obviously, we've signed a number of 5G contracts globally uh, with some customers actually deploying in 2019. And obviously, there are uh, different sets of standards of 5G. The first standards actually are focused on the consumer market. So this enhanced mobile broadband piece of 5G, which is the first set of capabilities to get rolled out, which will support the low latency for services and the higher peak capacity. That's the first phase of 5G that will get deployed in 2019. And then beyond that into uh, late 2020 and beyond is where we talk about the other sets of capabilities like network slicing in 5G that will bring even more capabilities so we can bring even more incredible experiences in the future as well. Well, at Intel, we're always excited to see what levels of creativity can be driven based on Intel architecture. This is a, a great opportunity to surprise and delight a lot of folks uh, with a new reimagination of Spider-Man. Jake and Jason, thanks so much for sharing the story with us. One final question for you. Um, if folks want to find out more about what uh, Jake, your organization is doing at Sony around virtual reality, and Jason, what your organization is doing for 5G. Can you uh, tell us where we can find more information? Jake, you can go first. Sure. So I think the, the easiest way is to follow us on social media. So at Sony Pictures VR on Twitter, you can also follow me at Jake Zim. I post every day generally one article about the industry that I'm reading or interested in or have a comment on. Um, we're on Facebook and Instagram as well. So those are the, the easiest handles to, to get all the info on us. Yeah, same for Nokia. So we're at Nokia Networks. We're on all the social media platforms and LinkedIn as well. You can go to the website Nokia.com or uh, NokiaNetworks.com. We've got lots of white papers and brochures on 5G and the different business models as well. So. Well, I can't wait to get out of this chip chat booth and go check out your demo. Thanks so much for the time today, guys. It's been a real pleasure. My Thank pleasure. You. Thank, you. Great. Thank, Thank you. you.
Welcome to Chip Chat Network Insights. My name is Allison Klein. We're coming to you live from Mobile World Congress in Barcelona, and I'm excited to have two gentlemen with me, Mo Cataba, Chief Marketing Officer for AT&T Business, and Bob Pike, CEO and CTO of SmartEdge. Welcome, gentlemen. How's it going? It's fantastic. Good Wonderful. to be here with you. So, Mo, why don't we start with you, and why don't you introduce yourself and your role at AT&T? Thank you. So I am Mo Cataba. I'm the Chief Marketing Officer for AT&T Business. It's the operating entity within AT&T that serves all business customers, small, medium, large, regional, national, global. And uh, we're very fortunate. We have 3 million business customers that use AT&T Business today. And the role that I play at AT&T Business as the Chief Marketing Officer is the product organizations work for me. So what are the actual products that we design and build and bring to market? Um, the channel marketing organization. So you, know, you can imagine across small to large, multiple channels, multiple segments. So how do we take those products package them up in a way that's actually a solution, drives outcomes for business customers, speaking the right language to them, the way that they want to be um, sold to, if you will, uh, as well as then traditional marketing functions, uh, brand, advertising, TV, digital, print, etc. And then finally, the pricing function. So how do we price everything that we bring to market? It's a phenomenal job. Love it. Jigsaw puzzle every <laughs> single day. And love seeing what business customers do with our products and our solutions to drive outcomes for their end customers, their employees. How do they use them to drive new revenue and take costs out? Fantastic. Now, Bob, do you want to introduce yourself? I'm Bob Pike. I'm the CTO at uh, SmartEdge. Uh, been, we've been working on uh, edge computing, especially in the enterprise space. Like Mo, I'm having more fun than I think I've had in a long time. This is... This is a fun technology. We started working on it about three years ago with Intel. So, and uh, AT&T's been a wonderful partner, uh, kind of helping us translate it into real positive experiences for their clients, their enterprise clients. And, and well, the clients of their clients is really who we're targeting, is improving the experience of the consumer that maybe go in a retail store or an industrial engineer in a, in a plant, those kind of things. Now, the topic for the day is renaissance of retail at the edge. But before we get there, Mo, I was hoping you were talking about products and how you package up those products. One of the things that AT&T has been talking about for a while is the revolution of your products utilizing um, virtualization and driving uh, network functions uh, through software. Can you tell me about where AT&T is with that and what that brings in terms of uh, the capabilities of what you're able to uh, package up for product delivery to your customers? Yeah, absolutely. So you know, several years ago, we realized internally that we needed to virtualize our own network, you know, the, the back end of the network that serves our consumer customers, our business customers, carries the traffic. And really, it was a function of capital intensity. Right? When we looked at the amount of capital that we needed to invest in our network going forward, um, it wasn't scalable. And so as we were looking for how do we address this, we realized shifting to a software-defined network 
virtualizing functions, driving much more um, higher efficiencies, better utilization out of common components that could do multiple things versus historically uh, we would have iron boxes that would do one thing, um, could lead to significantly better cost efficiencies for ourselves internally. And uh, we set a goal of that we would be 75% virtualized by uh, 2020, and we are well on that path. I like to think of it as we're on the home stretch now. Uh, at the end of uh, 2018, we were at 65%, so we're almost there. The added benefit was that beyond being able to virtualize our own network, this really created the opportunity um, to rethink services and solutions and products that we could bring to our enterprise customers, leveraging the same architecture and set of capabilities. Um, and uh, one of the major product solutions that we've brought to market since then, speaking of the edge, uh, is a solution that we call Flexware, which allows business customers to shift away from proprietary uh, single-use appliances, think a router, a firewall, a WAN accelerator, uh, et cetera, and shift towards uh, a more simple box that we call Flexware, and then all of those functions can be downloaded like an application on your smartphone uh, as VNFs or virtual network functions, so now routing, firewalls, et cetera, can be stitched together, service chained across multiple providers, and we can deploy it almost anywhere on Earth as well. So it's been fantastic for us internally, as well as fantastic in terms of um, operational efficiencies that we can bring to our enterprise customers. That's fantastic, and it's, it's so great to hear AT&T making the progress that you are in terms of driving that transformation of the network. I know that um, you know, Intel and, and AT&T have had tremendous collaborations in this space. Now, Bob, uh, Mo has just described a really interesting um, opportunity around edge, and I would assume this is where Smart Edge comes in. Can you provide a, a background in what the company is delivering and then how it relates to what we're showing here at MWC? Yeah, I'm just going to leverage off something that Mo said. So, as AT&T moved to the virtualization of the network, we also had the virtualization going on in the cloud. So picture what we da have down on the factory floor is a virtualized network functions married with applications running. And I'm going to steal another thing. He said software defined. So now we have a, an edge environment that's software defined. It's not physical cables. It's not working on one server and then going on the router or the switch. We literally can create an experience, and that's really what I think this is about, is creating a better experience for the user, as well as once we virtualize all this hardware, we can more rapidly kind of do iterate with clients. So down on the factory floor, we've worked what they call endless aisle with, I mean, excuse me, the, the floor down here, we've built something called Endless Isle, and it l literally uses artificial intelligence kinds of elements, it uses camera sampling of people, it uses digital media, and it creates an experience when someone walks up, they have a very, let's say, effortless shopping experience, right? Because we see their device, they've opted in, we can sell to them, and then actually if they want to return, they can go around the back, and if you go to look to the side, you'll see all kinds of wonderful analytics about the user. All that allows us to do is create this kind of, see, it's like uh, the millennials prefer the technology react to them. It's like they've changed. You know, it used to be we interacted with it. They want it to react to them. So what we've done on the floor is create an environment where the technology is reacting to them. And that's really the power of the network, 
along with these applications working together. Yeah, I'd just build on that and say, you know, Endless Isle is uh, an extraordinary solution. So if you're a retailer, you're thinking through inventory, the space of your store, how do you optimize it, what are your associates doing, are they restocking shelves or are they out there interfacing with your customers? And Endless Isle, really you think of it as a uh, large, beautiful, touchscreen immersive experience where uh, any consumer or customer can walk up to it. Um, let's say they're shopping for uh, a blouse or a shirt and they can scroll through very quickly, swiping through on different styles, different colors, which then allows the retailer to uh, suggest um, matching pants, shoes, hats, scarves, etc. Uh, and then via a simple mobile point of sale device, then work with that customer to, to order that, or you know, downstairs uh, we have little uh, cabinets that can be opened up when you select something and you simply take it out of it. Um, but it really allows retailers to think through how to bring together the best of the digital world and the physical world while also becoming a lot more efficient and thinking through stocking inventory, um, bespoke clothing, you know, drop ship it to someone within a couple of days. And this is just the beginning. You can uh, imagine the possibilities are endless. It sounds like there's efficiency here, but there's also much more insight into how inventory is flowing, where it's flowing, that can be turned into new business opportunity for the retailer. Well, as a marketer, right, the number one question you're always facing is, how do I put the right next offer or suggestion in front of the right next person at the right time. And um, you know, when you think about it, we're in Barcelona today, and trends and fashions can be quite different than where I live, which is Dallas, or New York, or Korea, et cetera. Um, and so when you think about these sorts of solutions, endless aisle, magic mirrors, one of the interesting things that it arms marketeers with is real-time intelligence on the way that your customers are interacting with you in a retail physical environment, which they've had that information digitally, but not in retail. So now, you can quickly learn, uh, we were talking about blouses as an example. Are the fashions that people are gravitating towards in Barcelona different than in Dallas? So as you start thinking through your logistics and supply chain and ordering the right thing and having the right amount of things on hand, suddenly you can start figuring in geographic demand and uh, how are tastes changing by state or by country, et cetera. Um, so Marketeers love this. It's not just the CIOs, the infrastructure uh, leaders at a given business. It's also the data officers, the marketing officers, the CEOs that can take this data to really think through the best way to run their business. Bob, what is the, the key driver of technology innovation or drivers of technology innovation that you see in place? You talked about a couple, um, you know, cloud computing and uh, virtualization, but what do you think is, is unique here on what we're showing that shows the state of the state for 2019 and where do uh, you see the industry evolving technology to make this uh, type of experience um, available from a wide market perspective? Well, I said this earlier, we now have a software-defined kind of construct that we can work with. And Mo was talking about the data now that we're getting when the consumer walks in. 
Well, because we're connected to a very secure network that helps us with the privacy issues, those things, we can also get all this other data about that user that may exist. So what we're kind of doing at the edge is creating this experience platform. I call it an east-west kind of way of all these things interacting to where it's really the combined technology, both the virtualized network functions and the virtualized appliance and this east-west capacity that this is where the operators bring this stored value and security, authentication, all these things now become effortless. We don't have to log into something. We don't have to do these things. We really literally can create an experience for the user right at that shopping area. And we know all kinds of things about them in the past if they have an app on the phone. So the experience, as opposed to being this obnoxious ads all the time, it's this kind of prescriptive kind of experience for them so it doesn't feel obtrusive. And it's private, you know, and to the extent that, you know, they've asked for. When you talk to your customers about this, um, what have your retailing customers talked about with you in terms of these types of capabilities? And then, you know, the second question for you, Mo, is um, obviously this is a retail example, but I can see similar use cases that would apply to other industries. Have you thought about which industries um, you can drive this type of um, technology to the edge to improve your customers' business experiences. Yeah, absolutely. So w when you talk to retail customers, and I, I'll go back and touch on a comment I made a little bit ago, is the how do we create experiences that drive the end customer to want to actually come into the store, right? So uh, digital marketplaces are exploding. Retailers are really thinking through every square foot. How do I become the most efficient operation I can be while also bringing together the best of the digital and the physical um, to really make it exciting and a reason why people want to come in. Um, you know, I made a brief reference to this earlier, but there's a, another technology um, that we were demonstrating at NRF, which is a big retail show in New York City, just a few weeks ago at the time we are recording this, um, called Magic Mirror. And what Magic Mirror allows uh, a retailer to do is when a customer stands in front of it, uh, there's a, a built-in camera, and it's, it's scanning them, essentially. Um, and then whether it's makeup or glasses or clothing, it will virtually outfit them. And then, again, make suggestions. So based on uh, your face shape, complexion, etc., I think these sorts of glasses would frame you well. And then, again, simply allowing them to rotate through. You can move your head to the left and the right, up and down. And the latency with these new technologies, edge compute that we're deploying, is so strong that it essentially looks like you have those glasses on um, and you can virtually model them. And uh, I, I love this, right? Just as a personal consumer, um, you know, one of my big challenges anytime I go into a, a store is it takes me 20 minutes to figure out, you know, what size am I in that store, you know, clothing <laughs> might fit me one. Yeah. I'm a 34 in my pants in this store and a 36 there, 33 here, a 35 there. So I spend all this time just figuring that out. Like, you know, I go to the glasses place, I look at a whole bunch of them. I don't really know which ones are gonna frame my face well. Um, you know, the, the folks listening to this can't see, but we're all wearing glasses yeah. right mm -hmm. now. So I know this is something we deal with. I love technology like this because it makes it so much more efficient for me as a consumer 
to virtually try things on and get those suggestions. So this is where retailers are, are coming at this from, is how do I use technology to drive these outcomes? Um, and then to your second question, which is, um, how do we see this sort of technology applying to other industries? I mean, you're spot on, right? So you think about quick service restaurants, um, we're seeing them use a lot more digital signage to allow them to change their offerings by time of day, day of week, rush hour traffic, um, may be completely different than the people who are coming in on the weekend. I can change the language my signage is displayed in, breakfast items to lunch items. I can do uh, different pricing by market. I have certain states where I may need to show calories, other states where I don't. And all of this can be managed from some sort of centralized headquarters locations and real-time data coming back in based on the things that I show on that signage hey, should I be offering more of this particular sandwich or burger or shake, whatever. So um, edge computes coupled with these leading edge technologies like what Smart Edge is doing um, really is revolutionizing every single industry. Uh, it's, it's phenomenal. Yeah, the, the ones we're finding, you know, think about anything where you have mobility, highly like healthcare or industrial, manufacturing, transportation, where there's some, like a doctor, nurse in a point of care circumstance, an industrial engineer in a plant, where maybe there's sensors around them, there's point of care equipment, anything where mobility is critical, there's lots of content and security, the opportunities are off the charts. And it's just like in retail where we take these wonderful, let's say, technologies and reassemble them in a, at the edge in a new way. Same thing's happening in a factory. Same thing's happening in a hospital. Now we can be more expedient in the way we treat a patient. Now an industrial engineer can be faster in changing a process, let's say that a part's not quite fitting properly. So these, anything where you see lots of content, mobility, security required, this technology naturally fits into. So really, what's been fun is we found the killer use case was in the minds of the people on the factory floor or in the hospital or in the retail store. Once they grasp it, I mean, they were off and running. So that's that, to give you some of the other industries. That's fantastic. Well, Bob, Mo, thank you so much for spending time with us on Chip Chat today. I just have one final question for you. And it's really exciting to hear about the innovation that you guys are driving together, the innovation that you're driving on top of Intel architecture. We love hearing stories about this. So keep on doing that work. It's uh, fantastic to see. If folks want to find out more about what SmartEdge and AT&T are doing in this space, where would you send them for more information? www.smart-edge.com. Uh, business.att.com. Um, and I love LinkedIn. I'm on there uh, quite a bit. So if anyone wants to personally reach out, then they can find me there as well. Fantastic. Thanks for your time today. Thank you very much. Thank you. Welcome to Chip Chat Network Insights. My name is Allison Klein. We're coming to you live from Mobile World Congress in Barcelona. And I'm joined by Charles Furland, VP and General Manager of Telco at Lenovo. Welcome, Charles. Hey, welcome. Thank you. So, Charles, this is the first time on the program for you. Can you uh, describe um, 
your role at Lenovo and how it relates to Lenovo's broader pursuit sure. of the comm service provider market? Sure. I mean, Lenovo has three main division. One is the PC, one is the mobile uh, phone headset, and one is obviously the data center group. I'm belonging in the data center group and responsible for the communication service provider segment or the telco segment. Fantastic. Now, Lenovo obviously has a broad reputation as a technology leader. When you look at the um, comm service provider market or telco market, what is unique about that market and what does Lenovo leverage from its broader um, technology leadership uh, to apply to Fair. this particular? Yeah. There's a big transformation happening with communication service provider. They used to buy appliances with specific hardware and specific software, and now this model is getting disaggregated where uh, hardware can be purchased with some very high-end functionality and software can be selected from whoever they prefer. And so the communication service provider or CSPs are putting together a solution that is tailored to them and meets their exact requirement. And what Lenovo can help them develop is providing an optimized hardware infrastructure to host these software solutions to run their, their network operation. Now, Lenovo has been aiming technology not just at the core of the network, but also at the network edge. Right. What is your view of the network edge, and, and how is that evolving as you've talked to comm service providers in terms of the types of capabilities that are being driven to the edge? Sure, and the, the concept of introducing compute resources at the edge is not new, but what is new is a lot more of the data has to be processed towards the edge. Right now, most of the data is created in the data centers or in the cloud, and what we're seeing more more and more is some of the data origination is at the edge and therefore introducing some compute resources at the edge really improves the network performance. For example, if you're going to capture some video feeds from high definition cameras in a city, um, backhauling all of this into a core data center in the middle of the country doesn't make any sense. You, lose, you consume a huge amount of bandwidth, you lose a lot of time, so the latency is pretty high, uh, and most of the data is irrelevant at that point. What we're able to introduce as far as new use cases is compute resources at the edge, in which context we're able to process the video frame and do the analysis directly at the edge, directly near the content creation, and only upload to the core network what is relevant, what is significant, and if there is a, something meaningful to be processed. And everything else we can discard at the edge. So we optimize the network performance and, and not wasting, uh, and use the network in a more efficient way. Now, when you look at the infrastructure at the edge versus what we're running in data centers today, is there any difference in terms of the design of, of that infrastructure? And, and what do you have to keep in mind? Right. Fundamentally, the concept is the same. So we're talking about an x86 server. We're talking about more or less the same type of hardware. However, there's some uh, ruggedized environment that we need. We need to have product that can sustain a different heat, different temperature, humidity, that we need to have a hardware that is often smaller in format because the edge does not have a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, room available to, to store massive compute. And also energy efficient. That's another important aspect that we need to find the right combination between performance, between uh, price and energy consumption. And actually for the past year, we've been working with Orange in France in a joint innovation program to actually find that right combination between performance and energy consumption so that we can optimize the, 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 the cost and the performance at the edge. That's fantastic. Now I know that you're showing some of this technology here at Mobile World. Tell me about the demos that you're showing on site and how they relate to this vision. Sure. So one of the demos is actually between uh, Intel 
China Mobile buy sells in us. And, and basically, what, it's an open RAN demo, right? So we're, we're actually in Lenovo joined last, uh, last year the Open RAN Association. We're actually co-chair of the work group number six, which is the cloudification and orchestration. And we believe this is important uh, to the promotion of radio network in the future to have a more open standard instead of having some very specific proprietary uh, protocols. So what we're showing at our booth is an end-to-end -end indoor Pico cell demo. So basically this is a 5G end-to-end -end using Lenovo 5G phones, laptops, running on Lenovo servers, and uh, open RAN's uh, software on top of it. Now I've heard that some folks question if open RAN is actually a real thing. Um, and you know this is a hard place to drive open source innovation. Can you talk about what you're seeing in the industry and why you've decided to invest in this space? I can imagine some are doubtful and, and can cast a shadow over if it's useful or not. Definitely the momentum is be behind an open RAN architecture. What we have seen in the rest of the industry is if you have a software that is valuable, customers will keep to see value in it. Right now, what open source and ORAN is promoting is the environment where we can disaggregate it from the hardware from the software. We can have different orchestration platform. So really allowing the service provider to select the best of breed solution and, and tailor it to their specific need. And we believe this is ultimately, this is what the service provider will benefit, is a more flexibility in how they develop their infrastructure rather than a monolithic environment where a vendor come and propose a set of hardware and features and software and say, this is what you're getting. And by the way, your competitor is getting pretty much the same thing. So to differentiate between one and another, another, another sorry, is very hard. Now you talked about uh, the demo uh, being a collaboration between Intel, Lenovo, and others. Um, this is reflective of a broader collaboration between our companies. Why is there so much uh, focus on the collaboration between Lenovo and Intel in terms of delivering these capabilities to the market? So, well, I mentioned that the server, the x86 architecture that we're using is efficient. There's some specific traffic in the radio network that we need to accelerate, and we use technologies from Intel such as Quick Assist, QAT card or FPGA cards to really accelerate that radio traffic in order to be more efficient. When I'm talking about that price, performance, energy consumption, efficiency, it's really, this is where we're using these advanced technology from Intel on QAT and, 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 and FPGA so that we have the, enough throughput to handle radio traffic in real time and doing it in a more efficient way. Now Lenovo's also been a great partner uh, in delivery of um, Intel Select Solution uh, offerings to the market in this yes. space. Thank Can you. you talk about uh, your focus there? So Intel Select is, is, a, is, is a solution set that we are supporting. We have been one of the first to contribute and will continue to contribute there. I think it's one, it's one great example that Intel shows some leadership in bringing different parties together and have a standard set of of uh, architecture and reference that all the vendors can comply to instead of each one of us coming up with a, a different schema that we decide is the best. So this, I think, is, is, is helping the industry move forward and we're very proud and will continue to support Intel Select. And talking about the industry moving forward, Charles, obviously we are at um, ground zero in terms of the network industry's um, engagement at MWC. And uh, what are you seeing from partners, from software providers, from uh, comm service providers that you're talking about in terms of their deployment of edge technologies and further innovation on Lenovo platforms? That's a good question because the 5G is really only going to really pick up and become relevant 
when service providers are able to monetize the service, right? And by monetizing, we'll get faster phone and better download speed, uh, but it's hard to get more revenue for that same service that we're having right now on 4G. So what this is opening up is different, more use cases for the service provider to monetize that extra bandwidth and lower latency. That could be video processing at the edge, that could be uh, automated car uh, driving, that could be drone navigation. So, and, and all of these are very complex and very different use cases that will apply in different uh, declination in different countries. And therefore, having that open architecture where they can select a specific hardware and a specific software and a partner um, to do that navigation of a drone, for example, is really going to allow the service provider to be more creative and differentiate themselves from one another. And ultimately, the customers will benefit in having services that are more address, that are make more sense for their market instead of having a one-size-fit-all one type of approach. Fantastic. Now, Charles, I'm sure that um, in our conversations, we've sparked some interest from our audience about learning more about Lenovo solutions in this space. One final question for you. Um, where can folks find out more about where Lenovo is driving technology innovation in the network, and how can they connect with your team? Absolutely. So obviously, Lenovo.com uh, data center, uh, we have a data center group webpage, and in there you'll see a solution set for the telco. And uh, obviously, we're posting the latest and greatest over there. And right now, if they have the chance to be at Mobile World Congress, we're, we're here in all three at the booth. And um, reach, I would say properly reaching us through the website is the best way at this point. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a real pleasure. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Welcome to Chip Chat Network Insights. My name is Allison Klein. We're coming to you live from Mobile World Congress in Barcelona. And I'm very excited because we have Rajesh Gadiar with us, Vice President and CTO of the Network Platform Group. Welcome, Rajesh. Oh, it's a pleasure being here, Allison. Thank you. So we've known each other for a long time, but this is your first time on Chip Chat. Congratulations. Yes. Thank you. You've made it into Been, the hot uh, looking seat. Looking forward to it. So yes, this is, this is great. So Rajesh, We've been uh, doing chip chat for a number of years at Mobile World Congress, and the progress that the network industry has made since the early days of def definitions of NFE has been tremendous. Yes, um, it certainly has been. You know, this year we we see tremendous amount of innovation across core and edge, and um, a lot of discussion about how 2019 is the year for 5G. What are you most impressed about that you see? Yeah, and uh, as you know, Alison, um, Intel has been a pioneer uh, in terms of uh, driving the network transformation. And uh, we see some really good proof points of that over the last few years. Um, I see um, that network virtualization um, has uh, become a paradigm end-to-end. Uh, -end. So we see actually uh, in the enterprise applications such as virtual CPE and SD-WAN, uh, we see uh, RANs being virtualized, so virtual RAN, cl cloud RAN kind of applications. We see network core, particularly wireless core, being um, virtualized, so EPC, IMS. Um, so we, we really see virtualization sort of like whole strength now, end-to-end, -end, uh, even cable infrastructure, virtual CMTS. Um, uh, and so I'm actually excited because when you look at sort of like the the talk at this Mobile World Congress is really about 5G and 5G rollouts. And I truly believe that um, without the work 
that we have done uh, to transform the network, to virtualize the network, um, it would have been extremely difficult to realize the full potential of 5G. Mm -hmm. So I'm really excited. I think um, um, the network transformation is real. Uh, we are actually seeing um, the network largely virtualized uh, across the board, enterprise, um, the radio access network in the network core and in the cloud. And um, really looking forward to the 5G rollout because with that actually what happens is um, the new wave of services, particularly at the network edge. Mm -hmm. So it's exciting times ahead. Now, of course, you're the CTO of the network platform group. So I bet you are thinking also about what we haven't done yet and what we need to go do as an industry to complete this network transformation process. Can you describe um, where you focus when you think about this question? Yes, so um, um, over the last few years, we have put in a lot of effort to drive uh, standard interface for all the platform telemetry across CPU, chipsets, um, NICs, um, accelerators, and FPGA. And what we would uh, really like to do is um, to be able to apply a machine learning model, a trained model that's based on historic data. So what that allows us to do is, um, um, based on what you have learned about the failure scenarios, so let's say uh, an Ethernet port is going down, um, uh, we know actually what kind of policies we can employ to migrate the virtual machines or network functions. And um, what we want to be able to do is, based on this historic data and training a machine learning model, we want to actually draw inferences and close the loop so we can actually connect the dots between the telemetry information, the machine learning and AI paradigm that sits behind it, and the orchestration to completely automate the network infrastructure. Right. So that's that's one of the things that um, uh, I would definitely um, look at actually in terms of solving because a key tenet of NFV was actually how you automate the network infrastructure so you don't actually have to roll a truck every time you see a problem or you install a new service. And I think there is some unrealized potential here that I think we should really go off and look at solving as an industry. Now, automation is fantastic. Are there other areas of focus that you want to make sure we address from a closing the loop on uh, network uh, transformation? Yes, so there are actually uh, two other things that I would like to talk about. I think um, one thing that I constantly hear from uh, our operator friends, um, comm service providers, is the difficulty they have in truly realizing, uh, implementing applications as cloud native. And you'll actually hear this term cloud native quite often. Um, and uh, the challenge there is, um, I think as people have gone from um, 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 fixed purpose appliance model to uh, using a server-based infrastructure for uh, virtualizing network functions and deploying on standard server hardware, um, I think, they have made choices like use of um, SRIOV, uh, single root IO virtualization, that uh, gives them performance, but it does not have the flexibility, and it actually creates dependencies on particular hardware. Now, uh, there are actually standards like Vert IO, um, virtual IO, which um, allow you to uh, get the flexibility and be able to make the network functions portable, um, the, the problem is it doesn't give you the performance. So you have these two extremes. And uh, what we're trying to do is um, create a software framework that allows for hardware abstraction. So we're actually extending our DPDK. Uh, in the next phase of DPDK, we're trying to actually drive device abstraction, um, which would 
uh, allow for the performance um, and uh, yet actually um, uh, not create any hardware dependency so you can actually have hardware abstraction. Um, and what that allows us to do is to then really go down the path of and, and uh, uh, drive towards um, a cloud native uh, implementation of a network function so we can really achieve the cloud scale and the performance um, for uh, network functions. And then uh, your third focus. Sorry. Yes, and then the, the third focus um, it's really, you know, at, at this MWC, there's been a lot of talk about uh, 5G um, and edge services. Uh, and so I think if you were here last year, um, you know, we were talking about uh, field trials for 5G and so on. I think we have actually well past that point, and now um, we are talking about uh, 5G rollout. Um, there's been a number of announcements from various operators in, in different geos about um, the 5G rollout through the course of 2019. And now the discussion is shifting to services, um, and uh, these are actually services um, at the network edge, so, um, and edge is a term that is actually broadly used, it can be an enterprise edge, it can be um, services deployed in the radio access network, or it can be um, uh, services in a next generation central office at the network edge. Um, what's actually missing in my opinion is a good platform to build, deploy, and manage um, these services. And so uh, we made an announcement this week here at MWC, actually yesterday, um, um, a, a software stack called Openness, um, which is, um, um, uh, think of it as a software platform that allows you to um, create uh, edge services with an easy button approach. So this is actually really targeted at um, developers that would build those edge applications. Um, and so, so we need to actually go uh, solve that problem um, in addition to the, the other two problems that I described because um, um, I think to me actually 5G, uh, it's as much about um, the business model innovation and new supply chain as it is about the technology. Mm -hmm. And so to be able to realize the full potential of uh, what 5G offers, we uh, really want to actually make it easy for this new uh, edge services to be created and de deployed and managed. And so, so that's what openness is all about. It's our attempt to um, appeal to the developer commu community and make it easy for them to build the edge applications. It's interesting, um, in listening to you talk, um, you brought up a couple of common themes. One is really leveraging the entire data-centric silicon portfolio um, for all of these um, uh, network capabilities from core to edge, but also um, working with the industry on not just um, workload optimization, but stack optimization to take advantage of underlying capabilities and bring that full capability, whether it's um, advanced analytics and AI capabilities to the network functions for self-healing networks, or uh, delivery of cloud-native capabilities within the stack, or inspiring new um, workload innovations through openness. It the seems like services, it's a, yes. a, a continued theme. What is the Intel team doing? You've talked about the openness delivery, but what are we doing from a broader perspective to uh, drive that developer innovation and the ecosystem focus on things like advanced analytics and AI or cloud native stack delivery? Yeah, so we have been actually doing a lot of work uh, um, in the open source community, um, uh, as you know, uh, DPDK actually originated from Intel, and um, uh, now there is actually a very vibrant community around DPDK. Um, 
and uh, so uh, as a next phase of DBDK, we are uh, looking to drive um, a more cloud-native direction. Uh, so. Um, a hardware abstraction model while being able to deliver the performance. Um, so, so that's one element. Uh, in addition to that, in parallel with that, we are actually also looking at uh, how do we actually improve the kernel networking stack? Uh, because one of the approaches for cloud native is using containers and microservices based implementations to um, create and deploy network functions. Mm -hmm. And so uh, towards that end, uh, we've been looking at new approaches um, to optimize the network uh, the, the the networking stack in the kernel, and we've been looking at a new socket interface called AFXDP. Uh, so, so there's a lot going on in that space in terms of uh, how do we actually um, uh, really drive towards cloud native by uh, providing the right level of abstraction, but also actually improving the performance pretty significantly. Um, uh, and then um, separate from this, actually you asked me a question about uh, AI and analytics and that's actually a very broad topic. Um, there is actually, uh, as you know, um, there is industry data about how by 2020, 82% uh, of the network traffic is going to be video traffic and um, uh, as a result, uh, the ability to uh, monetize that video content uh, by doing analytics at the edge, um, I think, that's one place where we can actually apply AI. Um, I think there are um, security um, uh, you know, uh, applications that we are looking at uh, in terms of how do we actually create uh, um, a machine learning model uh, that uh, can automate the process of uh, finding malware and uh, bad signatures and be able to actually take uh, automated action. So that's another area that we are looking at. And then of course, uh, optimizing the network infrastructure and really making the network self-organized um, and automated. So that's another area that we're looking at. So, um, so yes, so I'm really excited. I think there's a lot of different opportunities that we are pursuing here. And I think uh, as the network, as we continue on this network transformation journey and if you look at um, where we need to evolve to, like I said, uh, realize the true potential of 5G and edge services, um, I think there's work to be done, but I'm, I'm really excited where we are and uh, this, you know, what we can do in the next few years to, um, to, to drive the full potential of 5G. This was a fascinating conversation. Um, one final question for you, Rajesh. Uh, if you're talking to folks in the industry who want to engage in some of these um, really important areas of innovation uh, within the networking arena, where would you send them to engage with the Intel team and, and learn more about some of the open source um, programs that you talked about, um, some of the areas where you can engage in terms of the Intel engineering community? The work that we are doing on uh, creating a software platform for uh, the next wave of edge applications and edge services, um, openness that I mentioned earlier on this chip chat, um, they can go to open-ness.org. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of information there already, and uh, I think that would be a good uh, starting point to engage with the Intel community on um, uh, the edge stack. Fantastic. Thank you so much for being with us today. It's been a real pleasure. Oh, thank you.